Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. We're back in the middle of November here, and hopefully everyone's been having a successful and fun-filled rut from the whitetail woods to the the mule deer mountains, I guess. I hope that everyone's had a, a good season so far. So I'm a couple of days late on releasing this podcast here. Just got back from Alberta um, in the bow zone with Jim Holt Jr. and Classic Outfitters and, and Sika Gear. And also just finished up the, the Pennsylvania whitetail season ended yesterday. So I, I flew back in from Alberta on Saturday, got in early Sunday morning and went straight into hunting whitetails for the last day of the archery season in Pennsylvania. So I apologize for not releasing this on time and those are just excuses that I'm that I'm using there but anyways here we are the the podcast is is ready to go and this one will be with Jim Holt Jr who is the outfitter and head guide at Classic Outfitters up in the Bow Zone so before we get into the podcast here with Jim kind of wanted to give a little bit of an update and describe my experience without getting into too much detail on the hunt that Jim and I will talk about. But the bow zone was um, just such an unbelievable experience for me to, I've never hunted whitetails, anything like that. And first and foremost, I've never hunted with an outfitter before. So that had been um, a new situation for me. And it was a, ended up being a great experience I learned so much from Jim and I'm sure everyone here will once you listen to this podcast, but the guy is just such a wealth of knowledge and a very disciplined whitetail hunter and it shows in his success over the last 30 some years of guiding. So his clients have done very well as well as himself and his brother Doug have done just some unbelievable things as far as taking experienced world-class whitetails in the bow zone of Alberta. So um, the, the first day of the trip, I had you know, my first, I think, 15 minutes in the stand. I uh, didn't get out to the evening because in the morning, I um, went through some more training with Jim and had to prove that we could you know, climb the tree hang a stand and get in, get set up, everything completely quiet without making any noise whatsoever before you're allowed to go out and hunt in the tree stand. And he does this not to to be a pain on anybody or, you know, to try to to make your experience not worthwhile. He does it because that's what you need to do to have an opportunity at these whitetails. Uh it's it would be hard for me to believe it without experiencing it. I mean, like, oh, well, what's so different about these deer than others? And I'm, I'm not really sure, but I'll tell you one thing. They are a very tough animal to get in close on. So to go, go forward here, um, first 15 minutes in the stand, I was just getting set up. I had my, my bow hanger screwed in, got my pack set up, got my layers on. I'm feeling good. And just kind of soaking in the fact that I'm actually, you know, out of the United States. I'm in the upper part of Alberta 
hunting, you know, these whitetails that I've dreamed about my whole life. And all of a sudden I hear, boom, here comes a doe kind of running through the woods and not too far behind her, about 80, hundred yards behind her. Here comes a buck. And right away I could tell this thing is a giant. And, uh, the deer just, well, the doe came up and I was worried because she was coming directly downwind to me. She kind of got a little bit skittish. She's, you know, you can tell she's kind of being weary, but didn't pick me up. Walks out on the trail, 25 yards. But right before that, actually, she came across this little opening. I ranged at 35 yards. I'm like, if this buck's coming the same trail, I'm going to take him right there. Anyway, she comes out to 25 and just kind of moseys on out to, towards the back of the alfalfa field out of the thick stuff. And the buck continues to follow and comes up and he hits that spot he stops and that what i thought was an opening at first at you know 35 yards so i'm getting ready to draw and i'm looking i'm like i i can't make that shot i i wasn't 100 percent confident i could make that shot there was a few sticks there's a couple branches that were in the way there's a potential like i mean that the, the opening where the vitals were was open but the way the branches were laid i'm pretty sure my arrow would have hit it um at about 12 yards in front of me. I mean, these branches weren't like right in front of them. It was back out. So with the arc of the arrow and everything, I'm pretty sure I was going to hit it. And just opted not to shoot to wait until he hit the, the next opening. I'm like, there's nothing to worry about. He'll hit that that next opening. Well, I uh, took another couple steps, and I think my wind was blowing that direction. I wasn't sure why the doe didn't pick me up, but he, uh, being an experienced whitetail, picked me up. And he looks around the tree. It didn't didn't uh, look exactly up at me, but looked around and just bolted. And uh, I just my heart sank. And I was trying to think like how big of a deer was that. So I was kind of guesstimating as. And again, I'm a Pennsylvania whitetail hunter here for the most part. So when I get to a deer that's over 170 inches, I have a tough time judging them. So I just said ballpark 175 to 180. Ended up seeing another really good deer that night and, and passed on like a 130-inch eight-point that came by. But I went back to camp and I started describing this deer. And they're like, what, what was he like? I said, he's a typical 12-point, big brow times, knife bladed out, went straight out. The buck just, I mean, it, it's just super wide. And I mean, the whole package. And they're like, yeah, Bo, he was probably 190 inches last year. And that just made my heart sink the fact that i probably had about a 200 inch white tail at 35 yards and i didn't capitalize on the opportunity which it is what it is um the rest of the week was just an unbelievable experience i mean just we had cold weather we had it warmed up a little bit we had freezing rain and sleet and hail and everything else that you could think of thrown at you perfect weather for testing new gear so i can't wait to to uh see when this stuff releases and, and be able to kind of talk to you guys about it awesome stuff um to to go through and test so that was kind of the week there i ended up having another buck come in on the last morning that was that i would have shot it was a, it wasn't as big as the first one but a very nice deer he's falling a doe but didn't uh didn't end up coming through range and 
throughout the week i passed on a lot of other good deer it just wasn't wasn't happening yet the the full blown rut when you're seeing some of these really big deer um running chasing does and stuff is actually closer to thanksgiving up there just the way that it is in the northern um hemisphere there and yeah so that was kind of you know tough there we saw, like i said saw a lot of good deer that i would have been more than happy to take in pennsylvania but just kind of wasn't what i was going to alberta for and also uh, on the last day last morning saw a, a cow moose that came through which was it was cool to be able to see that but jim's method to hunting and hunting these as he dubs them experienced whitetails are is is in some way that i don't know it's something i'm gonna have to go back and do again like it just the one the fact that i didn't succeed at it makes me want to keep doing it two it's just so difficult i mean being silent was such a big part of it and again you'll hear a lot of this stuff in in a lot more detail from jim and why he does it that way so let me jump into kind of the end of the pennsylvania season so where we left off on the last episode i it was friday november 2nd i believe and i came in on lunch just to record the podcast um the intro there and get that released so i didn't get to update anymore while well, the next day of hunting before i left for alberta was just dynamite it, it just everything changed so I left here from recording a podcast, and normally that time of year I'm hunting all day sits, but I needed to get that podcast done before I left for Alberta. Go back out to where I was parking at, and there was two vehicles there. I said, how in two hours can two people show up on you know a Friday afternoon? Well, they did, and the chances of them actually hunting in the same spot I was was slim to none, but nonetheless, I don't like being around people, and I don't want to you know mess them up in any way, so... Went to plan B, just pulled everything, went to a different spot, packed my stand in, um, went to an area I was planning on hunting the next morning, but uh, decided to hunt it that evening, and right away got into some deer, some does hanging out, small bucks cruising through, and then it was action-packed. Right as it was getting dark, I heard a buck after I did a grunting sequence. It was, it was just last light, and he's in the beach brushes tearing up a tree. And I'm trying to get him. So I was being a little more aggressive than normal, trying to get him out of that cover so I could get an opportunity to shoot him if he was a buck I wanted to shoot before dark. But as those big deer do, he stays stays in the, the cover. And actually, he snort-wheezed at me four different times. Just full-blown and the one time i tried to to do it back at him when i was trying to again trying to get him to come out before the before it got too dark and he, he well i i had trouble making that noise in my mouth because i was so excited that i don't know what it sounded like but not a snort wheeze and i just covered it up with like a long deep growl of a grunt and he just got him so fired up he was tearing up trees doing everything he could want and i ended up getting to see that deer um couldn't get like a real good view of his rack but he, he was big he was real nice and did a he did a complete 270 degree loop around me never coming out of the thick stuff to right to the base of my tree behind me and while that's happening another buck appears and it's this big eight point that i had been watching 
when I say watching, I'd seen him on my trail camera and very big mature deer. He's sitting there 17 yards this time in the wide open. He walked over, hit my, where I'd walked in on the scent trail and he must've caught something he didn't like and just on a dime bolted. But up to that, if it would have been light enough, I could have shot him, you know, 10 times over before that, that point. So just really good evening. I was pumped up getting out of there. I was stuck in the tree like an hour and 10 minutes after dark because I couldn't leave because I had deer around me and got out, went home, got a good night's sleep last morning, went out, not a deer until like I was getting out at noon. I believe it was 1145 when I had a really big, probably 140 to 150 inch 10 point cruise out in front of me at about 55 yards or so but he stayed in the thick stuff and again wouldn't leave didn't care about any of my calls he was on a trail and he just kept going so that was it i climbed down get ready to go pack for alberta and walking out on i was walking out to the trail and i caught something over the rise looked like a turkey feather and i kind of just ducked down and i had the day before I'd spotted some turkeys walking in. So the next day I made sure I brought in my orange vest with me. So I wore it walking in and out along with my orange hat to meet the orange requirements in case I decided to shoot a turkey walking out. So what do you know? I come across those turkeys. I kept my head down, kept, kept ducked, drew my bow, stood up. And at that point they're about 15 yards and I ended up shooting one of the, the young Tom. So I shot a Jake and kind of ran away went down over the hill i snuck up on him like where he went spotted him kind of bedded down next to a log so i put another arrow in him and actually the first one was a kill shot he would have died there within probably a few more seconds but decided to put another arrow in for good measure and it was pretty cool to be able to to do that so got the turkey all um well, basically just threw him over my shoulder with my pack and my stand, a whole bunch of weight packed out, got to my truck, cleaned up the turkey and everything and packed all my bags and headed uh, to Pittsburgh airport. So that's kind of how my season went there. Just, then just came back for one more day, which was yesterday. Hunted, uh, how long was it? Oh, I hunted all day, dark to dark in one of my favorite spots, Crick Bottom, that uh last year i killed my bucket right at noon and it's, it's great there's a doe bed between two different doe bedding areas actually creek crossings beaver ponds the whole works that makes it the ultimate travel corridor once you get later in the rut like that and right at noon i spotted one of the big eight points that i had been after he cruised out about 100 yards and he looks over my way and I realize he's missing a whole beam. He broke it off right at the base on the opposite side. And very mature, at least a four-year-old deer, probably probably from a, if you're going to go with an inch side of things just for people to kind of get an idea of this buck, he's probably 135 to 140 inch eight point, which is really big for, you know, Pennsylvania eight point. And uh, so don't don't make me uh, i don't want to give off a false accusation here thinking that i pass on this deer because he only had one side because believe me i was going to shoot him he was he met the criteria everything i wanted and i'm pretty sure i could have found that broken off time and shed season but 
or when I say time, the whole beam, but it was, he, he didn't, uh, he didn't read the script. He was, again, he had something else on his mind and obviously got his ass kicked already once and didn't feel like getting into another battle. So he just kind of moved along, but that was the only deer I saw and it's kind of bittersweet and, uh, the Pennsylvania archery season like that, <clears throat> excuse me. I think this is the first time since 2012 that I haven't filled a, a buck tag by now. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting year, that's for sure. And but just keep kind of grinding it out. Time to pick up the rifle in PA. Maybe head to Ohio sometime in the middle here, just on weekends since I've burned all my vacation from work. So. We'll see what happens, and uh, again, I hope everyone's had a good luck to this point, and if you stayed with me this long, then you're actually going to get into the good part of the conversation here when I get Jim on the line. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this podcast with Jim, and everything that he says is from experience and tried and tested great information. So, hope everyone enjoys it. Thanks. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast, and I'm sitting here in uh, very cold um, Alberta. Uh, what town are we in here, Jim? Uh, we're by Stony Plain, Alberta. Stony oh, Plain, Alberta. So way uh, north of the border, uh, I'd say, this this week here. So I'm sitting here with Mr. Jim Holt Jr. with Classic Outfitters. Jim, how are we doing this evening? We're doing good. Good. Thanks for the invitation. Boy, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah. Always happy to talk a little bit of bow hunting. Yes, it's uh it's a pleasure. I'm I'm uh had a great week so far here. So up here hunting with you, um, on a trip here with Sika Gear, came up to do some some product testing and uh in the nice cold frigid temperatures that we have here in in Alberta, it hasn't been as bad as that you had warned warned me about, but uh, it's it's still been pretty chilly, I'd say. Yeah, it's been kind of a classic week up here in terms of uh, second week of November, and we've got some snow on the ground. We've had some snow in the air, nothing heavy, but we had some frigid temperatures this morning. I think we were approaching zero this morning, and and the gear has served us well in terms of uh, keeping us comfortable. So it's been nice. We haven't been suffering up here, which has been a, a good deal. Yeah, it was it was actually really really nice and and getting to kind of see um some of the different gear that you guys use up here is pretty cool yeah it's pretty specialized that's for sure the sport is specialized the gear is specialized and it certainly takes a certain person certain type of person that would enjoy this sort of thing yeah that's for sure um yeah we just finished up a pretty pretty amazing dinner i would say chef eddie does an amazing job and 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 you and i were kind of joking around before this but we've we haven't taken it lightly on the sweets i'd say no time. exactly exactly <laughs> yeah he uh chef eddie's been looking after us here for years and uh he's one of the guys that we have a lot of respect for and that's the one thing i think that we're proudest of is a lot of the quality people that we've surrounded ourselves with and up here and uh chef eddie's one of them and and uh, there's a bunch, and the, and the people that we've attracted over the years too. It's really a special place because of the people that we that we have come visit us. Yeah, it, it seems that way. It's uh, it's very family oriented, you know, business that you're kind of running around here. So before we get get into that anymore here, Jim, if you'd like to kind of introduce yourself here and talk about um, your outfitting business and kind of 
how long you've been doing that in uh, the, the bow zone. Yeah, Bo, it's been a while, probably longer than I care to admit. I think this is year 35 or 36 for us, but specific to answer your question, I'm in the uh, the bow, bow hunting the Edmonton, in the Edmonton bow zone and uh, have been here, live in this area my entire life and uh, been up here 50 plus years and, you know, outfitting for 35, 36 of them. And we're just real dear to the, the whitetail tree stand bow hunting up here especially in the month of November and a little bit in September and October as well. But that's the gist of it. It's just a, a very difficult game to play, and it keeps us entertained. It keeps us honest. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to work at it. Yeah, and, and Jim, the funny thing is is uh, when I was planning on coming up here, I was looking on your website and kind of reading some old magazine articles that were written either about you or that you had written in the past, and there was one specific that came to mind for um i think it was back in 1999 you wrote one for oh man i'm trying to think north american whitetail um, what, or what? I can't it was remember. 99 i'm i'm guessing you're heading towards a big buck we took back then and it was uh 99 and it was for big buck magazine in based out of saskatchewan i believe actually okay or maybe it was 2000 there was one that you had you had done for uh united states magazine i can't, I can't remember what the name of it is off the top of my head one of the big ones but anyways i i recognize the cover on it the cover photo and i so i looked through on your website you could see the the magazine and at that time i was uh younger younger kid i guess at the time and i had that magazine i remember at my grandfather's house and had drawn a picture i used to be really into drawing and wood carving and stuff and i'd drawn pictures out of that specific um magazine really? that was on there from your guys's really from your guys's hunt so that was i didn't even get to tell you that yet yeah but it was uh it was pretty funny i have a picture of the the drawing i believe it's over at our camp on the really? wall when i was like nine years old or so that wow. i'd written on written on there so well that's unique you know we, yeah. we occasionally hear something not not of that nature but you know we've had a lot of people up over the years and We've had pro athletes, and I, I remember I had a pro athlete tell me a few years ago that when he was playing pro, he said when he retired, he had a magazine. He said, I'm going to this place because he was reading about it. So <laughs> That's crazy. It's funny, yeah. It attracts, uh, attracts all types, but that's very interesting with the drawing. I haven't heard such a thing. Yeah, and, I had, and it had been something like whenever I thought of as a kid growing up, and I don't remember if it was, you know, that specific magazine article or just any other ones, but Alberta was always a place that I wanted to go for big bucks. Like yeah. Just all yeah. I, I remember thinking of. So it's pretty surreal to me to be actually here right, right now. So that's, that's pretty cool. And, and yeah, that's, that's just a pretty awesome, you know, experience to be able to do that. Yeah. The thing that, you know, the thing that's interesting when you, when you talk about Alberta is what, when I started outfitting so many years ago, it was always very popular in, uh, in hunting big deer as is Saskatchewan for big Canadian whitetails. But the thing back then when we started the bow hunting game really wasn't very refined. It was very more primitive in terms of the, the outfitting and the, and the hunting and guys were doing it, but the equipment wasn't precise. Uh, the tree stands were challenging. The, the bows were challenging and the law, the knowledge really lacked as well. So that was a real inspiration to us to, to work at it and work at the craft and try to try to, try to master the craft as best we could which has been a, a lifetime journey yeah 
Yeah. So with with that being said, you're talking about kind of the the difference, you know, changing into the archery world and bow hunting these, you know, big North Country whitetails. What exactly is the bow zone that we're in right now? Yeah, the the Edmonton bow zone is basically a brief approximation or a rough approximation would be about a thirty mile radius of the city in of Edmonton that encompasses sixteen hundred and some square miles. And so that is the Edmonton Bozo, and the season generally runs from September 1st to November 30th. But the prime Edmonton Bozo is generally the western portion because it's never open to firearms. The south portion is, the east portion is, and the north portion, there isn't much for uh, for timber up there. So it's more, much more restrictive. So that's the gist of it as far as what the Bozo is, and it's been... 30, 30 some years that it's been archery only so it's a pretty special place to be with lack of harvest and the northern genetics and and the fact that the bucks just grow big because of the nutrients in the soil yeah yeah i experienced that on uh night one yeah yeah you, trees stand. and and you, you're one of those people that you're not gonna uh i guess blow smoke up anybody's ass as far as saying uh you know that oh you're, you're gonna come here and automatically be putting you know giant white tails you're like one you're gonna work for it yeah two the deer population isn't extremely high so it's gonna be it's gonna be a waiting game yeah. but you do have the potential to have an opportunity at some absolutely giant whitetails. And it just so happened that the first 15 minutes in the stand that I had a truly world-class whitetail come by, I'm like, oh, Jim didn't say it was this easy. but Yeah, that's um, right. There's nothing to it. Um, <laughs> no. no, but that's just the thing. I mean, it can happen anytime. And, and uh, you've done a bunch of bow hunting, so you know how precious it can be. And, and, I, and I enjoy the loaded question when I asked, uh, have you seen a few good whitetails like that in your life? And when you said you figured it was like a 180, 190 class whitetail or 170, 180, I can't quite recall. Yeah, I, I had said 170 to 180 being conservative. And then right. once I described to you what the buck was, you said, right. well, that buck was probably over 190 last year. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but when, you know, I, I just enjoy hearing it back because this place, this area is special to us. And when somebody says to you what it is and it's the biggest buck they've ever seen, it's rewarding for us because we put a lot into it and it never gets old hearing somebody say something that's very special to them. They have the opportunity to see a deer like that. Yeah, it's it's truly like you and I had talked about it when I came back and I felt uh, weird saying that when you're like, is that, you know, coming, oh, it's the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. You know, you hear that kind of stuff, but it was truly the biggest deer I'd ever seen and just being able to watch that animal just the big body and everything and the way he kind of just owned, you know, the woods there as he was coming through. So that was a, a really special experience. But but anyways, kind of um, what, what you're getting into there with there's relatively low deer density. And what is the, the kind of reason for that? Um, it's just know? natural in the north, quite frankly. I mean, you know, in some of the lower states and some of the Midwest, you guys have a lot of deer and and a lot of population problem really with a lot of the guys are harvesting. A lot of the hunters are trying to harvest as many does as possible. We have a we have a natural, I would say, three to four doe to buck uh, ratio, and we don't have a lot of deer. We can have a fair a fair population, but we just don't have a lot of deer. Yeah. And uh, it's the magnitude of the deer that we have though that makes it special for sure. Yeah. But the the one thing that's so interesting about these deer, I mean. Killing, you know, a big deer, an old deer, mature deer anywhere is not an easy task, 
but it seems like here it's almost I don't know. It's, it seems even more difficult from, uh, I, I don't really know how to put it into words. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's actually a good question or a good comment bowl, because to put it into words, I mean, there's, there's several factors that make it difficult up here. First, firstly, of course, as we've already touched on, you're hunting big deer, but big deer, mature deer, which are experienced deer, which I always refer to, but the elements also don't help uh, the, I mean, the numbers are lower but uh, in addition which we've already said but the the elements itself which is a lot of reason why we're up here field testing gear yeah um it's a, it's very specialized and it has to be very disciplined with gear and it has to be very very disciplined as terms of approach and strategy because the northern latitude we don't have the foliage and things are very very quiet up here it's cold the sound is even worse because of that so there's a lot to it that's working against you. Mm -hmm. You Firstly, you've got the experienced deer that are so well-educated. You've got conditions that are difficult and very, very quiet. You've got temperatures that are cold that challenge you in every regard from clothing to archery equipment to tree stands. And uh, getting in and out is a huge issue as well. I mean, this week in particular, as you know well, you touch your feet on the snow that's melted and frozen again. It's a noisy place to be this week. Yeah, yeah, it's so, it's very difficult from that aspect. I mean, and it's so silent. Yeah, like you're that you're putting there is is to exp to explain it to you. You're, if you're sitting in the tree stand, you can hear a crow flying from a hundred yards away. Not them making noises, just their wings. Yeah, you can hear the the sound yeah. of their wings going through the air, and it's just it's a I don't know. You're probably used to it, but yeah, I'm I'm used to it. But it, it never you never take it for granted. I always say that you can on a quiet morning you can literally hear a car on a gravel road five miles away, and that's not an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. You can you can hear it, and you've and you've heard it because you've been up a few days. So it's a it's amazing how far that sound travels. Yeah, and the air is colder and more dense, and the sound just travels. Yeah, and just la a total lack of cover noise because the leaves aren't shaking and. You know, when the winds are calm, it's just super quiet. Yeah, I went from, you know, a week of bow hunting in uh, the Appalachian Mountains in Pennsylvania where it's the leaves actually are, are behind as far as falling off. So right. there's still a lot of leaves on the trees and it was really windy. Yeah. And it was so loud that you couldn't you couldn't hear anything. You couldn't hear a deer coming in, anything. Here you hear deer coming from quite a ways, at least with the conditions that we have yeah. now. But even, you know, more important is they can hear you in every mistake that you possibly make. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I remember we were looking at your rest a couple of days ago and your rest would work fine in Alberta in early season, September mm -hmm. to early October. But once it cools, cools off, it needs to be moleskinned up and taped up and just silence. It has to be right yep. silenced. Otherwise, you're, you've got a big problem coming. Yeah, and that's what that's what I ended up doing is yeah. replacing the the felt that was on there and putting a thick piece of moleskin, and yeah. it made it a lot quieter. You know, as far as as when we were testing it, and every time I get in the stand when it's cold out, I always draw my bow back to make sure that there's any you know issues there, and and it was it was definitely pretty quiet. Which uh, there's a lot other things, a lot of other steps, I guess you could say, for making yourself quiet or the uh, being more effective i guess with hunting through sound 
And that was something that from the day we walked in, actually well before we walked in here with your paperwork yeah. <laughs> that you had, you know, sent yeah. out. Yeah. But from the day you, we walked in here was you were stressing the importance of silence and yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, the, it can kind of go into that a little bit. Oh, it's just a huge game up here. I mean, if you're not silent, you're not in it, plain and simple. And, and I've watched it year in and year out. And I've, I've also watched guys that convince themselves that they're pretty quiet and they're going to, they're going to do all right. But, you know, I can't stress enough that if you're not silent, uh, and I mean silent, that's the key word here, silent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're pretty quiet, you're not in the game, you you have to have your gear silenced. Your your bow has to be si- silent. Your rest has to be silent. Your clothing has to be silent. If you have zippers, they need to be taped. Mm-hmm. You know, just everything has to be quiet. Otherwise, you're, you're just not headed for the kind of opportunity at the world-class whitetails that the guys are after. We, yeah. We've got them, but it doesn't mean you can get anywhere near them if you're not set up properly. And of course you don't have the disciplines to do what you need to do to, to get near them. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that you're keeping a couple companies in business with buying their hockey tape. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a stand. That's kind of a standing joke we have. And it's, uh, it's out of necessity. We, before every season we buy, rolls and rolls and rolls of hockey tape and you know as we sit here i'm staring at a bow that's all hockey taped and you know it's it's just a standing joke with us that we've even had hunters come here and go to other places to hunt and another hunter in camp will say i see that you've hunted the bow zone and i think i know who you hunted with because of the hog they'll they'll be others geared covered in hockey tape so (laughs) yeah but hockey tape is responsible for the success on a lot of a lot of mature whitetails it's just it's a, it really aids with the, with making things quiet. Yeah. And not to mention too, from when you just do your bow grip, it helps with, with, uh, not making it so cold when you yeah. grab a hold of it. Cause you grab a hold of that aluminum riser. It, you can't hold on to it yeah. for very long. Yeah. Know? No, you have to have your gear figured out, uh, the hockey tape for the insulative qualities, like you said, but, uh, you, you're just not going to last if you don't have your systems figured about you. And that's the one I th- one thing I talk about hunting up here is um, a, a lot of guys get excited and they, and they get optimistic about hunting up here. And I don't mean a pessimist. I don't mean to be a pessimist, but I'm, a, I'm always a realist. I go, there's nothing that's easy about it. Like the fact that you jumped in your first night and had a world-class deer walk by you, uh, that, of course, is not the norm. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he didn't present a shot to you based on... Uh, not coming through ground that was clear enough for you. But the point being is you have to put your time in up here. And, and, uh, you know, I could tell the second you showed up, I looked at you and your gear and so on. I could tell that you were good at the game. It was, you can recognize that in guys. And I wasn't surprised that it happened to you. And, uh, then you, you've been getting close to some deer on a few other occasions as well. But the thing that is, that is tough to watch or sad to watch are the guys that come up with a mindset from somewhere else because it works in that other place and but it doesn't work at all in alberta because of the the northern latitude or the nature of the deer if the deer in fact are are more advanced in in experience up here yeah and and i don't uh, i don't want to put words in your mouth here jim but i i think you would agree The, the kind of the way i came into this was thinking throw everything that i know out the window as far as you know, okay, these are the tactics that work in Pennsylvania or Ohio or whatever, and listen to the way you have your program set 
and follow it because obviously it's been successful over the last 35 years. And you kind of have to, I mean, that the male figure it has is ego driven a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> Again, well, put that lightly. Well, that's probably <laughs> been our biggest obstacle is, is, I mean, if you want to put it that way, the male ego where a guy thinks that he thinks he knows what he's doing because he's done something elsewhere. And my disciplines are the same. When I travel somewhere, I have the opportunity to travel to places to, to bow hunt or fly fish. And man, I'll tell you the first thing I do when I get there, including some outfitters that I've, I've mentored that are younger than me on getting their quality places set up. The first thing I do when I show up there is tell me what you want me to do and how you want me to do it when you, you know, when you want me to do it and how you want me to do it following their lead. Yeah. You know, am I on track here with what, with, I always say there's a knack to being successful anywhere at anything. So surrender yourself to those guys that are good at it, that are there. We like to think we're pretty good at it up here. Um, and, but, but if a guy doesn't surrender himself, we can't help him. Mm -hmm. You know, if he doesn't surrender himself to our system that we've developed with all the hunters, thousands upon thousands of hours up here in preparations and so on, um, we can't help him. And that's, that's the thing. Okay. A lot of guys are their, their own worst obstacle. Of course, of course it would be ignorant to say that you have all the answers because we don't. And that's why I'm in this game because after all the years of doing it, we're still learning. But if there's one thing I've learned is when, when in Rome, do as the Romans do and figure out why later, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we've got a track record of some success and there's good years, bad years. That's part of every game and every business and whatever. And, but you know, that's how we go about doing it is, is staying humble and trying to be good enough every day by, by our own, our own habits as well. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's something that that it was pretty clear to me when I, when I came here, you drove home the point of you, one, you can't let yourself slip. It's pretty easy. Once you think you're starting to get good, say even at your own program or anything, it's easy to kind of get complacent with it and, you know, fall off every day. You got to remind yourself, this is day zero. Again, we're starting over Yeah, and, and focus on it and keep getting better. Yeah. Every every time we come back from a hunt here, um, we're three days in now. But say you come back from the morning hunt, you come down and say, "Hey, what what are the three or four things that happened that you did not like? Whether it was a gear thing or something that happened you weren't smooth with, fix it yeah. and go, go back out." You know, and that's just continually improving the process to try to get you know again closer to these world class whitetails. Yeah, no, that's right. You just gotta <clears throat> excuse me. You just have to keep chasing. Chasing excellence really is what you got to do. And, and, uh, I've been doing this for a long time, but I'll tell you every time I come in, I work on the two or little, three little things that I need to tweak or maintain or whatever to make sure I'm, I'm up to speed with where I need to be. But, um, like I said, there's nothing easy about it. And you have to be perpetually demanding on yourself, your gear, um, you know, your disciplines. There's just, you have good years where you where you get it done and you kind of start to think think a little bit of yourself and then you get sloppy and then you things you get punished for it you always do yeah. so if you don't stay humble and working and i i would say it doesn't matter how much you pay for a hunt if you're not going to go there and work it you know all my hunts are designed to be tough mm -hmm. that's the idea if they weren't tough i wouldn't be doing them i'm not interested in them personally and i'm not interested in in uh, offering hunts that aren't difficult hunts. Yeah. I don't mean difficult to the point that they're not w worth doing or worthy of doing, but I mean, if it was an easy game, I wouldn't be in it.
yeah, then and then it really wouldn't be hunting in my opinion. I I do it because one it's it's a challenge, you know, and no matter what how you come out of a hunt, it's you learn so much from it and help you in one everyday life and also in becoming, you know, a better hunter all around. Like so that we, we've kind of touched base on some of the parts of your your program is what you call it basically. Um you know with the the silencing of your gear and silencing yourself and everything. But what are some of the other kind of like, what are your kind of tactics to, to being successful with it as far as kind of dig into your, your tree stand setup And also when you're kind of choosing how the hunters are going to sit your, your kind of strategy, which is a little bit different than some other outfitters from a, um, you know, aggressive versus passive kind of standpoint, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's that's a big question to answer, and I'll do my best, Bo, in this one because it's a it's a that's kind of a loaded question. It's I a, well, it's a, it's a you know it's uh, it's a tough question to answer in detail, and I'll probably end up with a run on sentence here. But you know, as far, first and foremost, is a preparation, and in one single word, it's silence. Of course, you know you're talking about the tree stands and the bows and the clothing. Everything has to be silenced. Hence, the we talked about the hockey tape. Then when you roll from that, and of course we can go, we tape tree stands with hockey tape. Everything's covered with hockey tape. The tree stands included. There's, it's not possible to touch anything metal because of the because of the hockey tape. Um, our bows are set up obviously to draw quietly, but they're also set up that if things go wrong and your arrow gets knocked knocked off a rest or up, or within a a uh, um, a rest that retains your arrow, that it still can't hit anything because mm-hmm. everything else is taped up. Um, and then as far as your gear, your zippers are taped, your anything, if you put your gear on and jump up and down, nothing should be rattling, you know, that sort of, that sort of detail. So we figure out how to silence that. We had a pair of binoculars that, that had the typical plastic, plastic, uh, clips and metal rings. We go to a wire cutter, the plastic clips are gone. The metal rings get removed. We use either a silent string or what we call hockey tape string where we spin a roll of hockey tape and create a string. Yeah. We've called that hockey tape string for years. So it's dead silent. You can't make that, make that or have that make any noise. So that's the prep on the gear more or less. But if there's any single thing that can make noise in your gear, I mean, I've walked up to hunters with my knife saying, I'm going to cut this off your gear and cut that off your gear. If that's all right, and I'm cutting pieces off like a chest strap that's unnecessary with a plastic buckle on a on a backpack, the backpack may be quiet, but if there's a chest strap going across there with a plastic bu- plastic buckle, we cut it off because it's not necessary in whitetail hunting. Or yeah, it's not our whitetail hunting. Yep. And then when you go to the process itself or the approach, and, um, and real quick, Jim, actually that was one thing that. With my binoculars, I had some of those metal clips and everything. And I would have never imagined that that would be an issue. And then you grabbed it and you shook it. You said, listen to that. Did you hear that? Yeah. There's, you go, that. there's, your, there's your opportunity gone. That's it. So yeah. we went in, cut it all off, yeah. use your hockey tape string, which I, I need to get a picture of that because that's, that's funny. I'm going to run my binoculars like that from yeah. now on. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's not pretty, but it's deadly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's 100% yeah. true. Yeah. But, but no, that's just it. I mean... I always say our, our hunts are kind of like a, a a string a piece of chain, you know. If, if you have piece, if you have a piece of, piece of chain that's twenty four lengths long and one of them is cut weak, that's probably what's going to get you. It doesn't matter how strong the rest of the chain is, 
you know, you you take one length and cut it three quarters of the way through or 90% of the way through, that's how strong your system is. I mean, if that doesn't get exposed, you might get away with it once, but it's going to get you in the long run, no question. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. Yeah. But getting but getting back, I mean, we talked about the gear. We talked about the stands. We talked about the bows. You know, I mean, the clothing. I mean, everything's based on silence. So you can physically, you can physically prep your stuff. And it's amazing even when... I demand guys to physically prep themselves. I realize how extreme we are, how anal I am, because I see that a lot of guys think they prep themselves and they're still only 75% the way there when they show up. So we keep working on other things. But as far as stepping from the gear to our approach in the field, you know, it's a different deal there. I mean, you have to figure out what you can get away with and what you can't, especially with the weather that we have right now with this noisy snow. There's a lot of tree stands we can't tree stand sites we can't get to right now. I mean, it's too noisy. We can't get there without telling every deer in the woods that we're trying to get in there. So you use some common sense and some disciplines there to stay away from those sites until we do get the snow or the weather, the warmer weather or whatever it is that lets us get there and hunt accordingly and hunting hunting accordingly to me is hunting objectively as to where you should be as to where you can get a, get in and out with big deer not getting on to you mm-hmm. you know and that's the key is a lot of guys hunt with the think with the thought in mind is they want to do this and they want to do that i always say that's a that's a breaking a cardinal rule you don't do what you want to do you do what you should do yeah. if your objective is to get on big deer yeah no and, exactly yeah. And, and if you're coming here that's what your objective that's the idea yeah that's the idea so a lot of guys come up and and uh um, when I was a younger guide, they didn't want to listen to the young guy too much. And unfortunately I'm an older guide now. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, fortunately I've earned the right to have some of the guys want to listen to me a little more. And, and, uh, I can kind of get away with laying down the law a little bit as to how we do things. And, and, uh, it's like anything, anybody that's, that's in any business has got their skill set and experience. And that's one of the things that I, that I say is we're proud of who we are. We're proud of what we've done. But we also know that, you know, we're surrounded by a lot of talented people that are in the room that might not know our game. And that's a lot of the reason they, they can got, they can hunt with us or they're not, or they want to hunt with us. Mm-hmm. But I also know that put the egos aside. I know all of these guys can embarrass me in, in a moment in their, in their business or skill set and their talents. So um, we're proud of who we are, but humble all at the same time. So, you know, we're trying to help these guys and, and uh, if they'll let us help them and, and try to play the game to the best of our abilities. Yeah, no, and that's 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 a, a big thing. You, I, I think you've done well this week as far as it, it doesn't matter who's here, what their skill level is, what they've done outside of it. You're treating every single person exactly the same, and and going through because this process that you have to to kill these whitetails, like you said, it may or may not be perfect and and uh, there's probably some little things that could be you know that are flawed or whatever that you continually change and you know um i guess adjust as the years go on but everyone the more that they go through this system and follow it the better chance of success they have instead of going on their own thing and then like for when i was joking around with you about your uh your bowstring i was like you know you know, uh, you could probably get that changed out, Jim. It looks a little bit old on there. And you thought about it, and then you asked me some questions about it later. And yeah. because you're like, 
that's something that uh, you know that I know you know a little bit about, and you respected, and you had that for each each guy here. You know, everyone's got their strong points. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you kind of show respect to that. Absolutely. You know, and I I've been in the bow hunting business and a bow hunter my my entire life. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing that t- that to me is very important to do. And I appreciate you saying that because you talked of the fact that you had spent a bunch of time messing with archery equipment. I've shot bows my whole life and I've shot besides some of the world's best shooters. I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. That's not my skill set. I'm, I've got, I'm fine in terms of shooting archery equipment. I can shoot. I'm, I'm hunting accurate. I'm a close range bow hunter. I'm 40 yards and in on whitetails. And, uh, I want to be 20 yards and in on whitetails or 10 yards in. It's more fun for me. Yeah. But when I'm talking to somebody who's specialized in archery, they're special, they're, you know, they're a specialist at, at shooting bows more accurately than I am. My, what I'm proud of is getting close to world-class whitetails where I don't have to be a world-class archer for one thing. I'm interested in being a good archer, archer so everything is uh, ethical, of course, and surgical and precise if you're actually shooting because that's how the sport should go in my opinion. But yeah, I, I enjoy being around guys that are better than me in a lot of different disciplines. But my skill set is the intricacies and the tricks to get close to to these some of the biggest whitetails, if not the biggest whitetails in the world. Yeah, and and one thing that you you had mentioned, and it's it's obviously it's well, it's, I guess you should say it's obvious by you know looking back at some of the, the say the deer that you've killed or anything is you're a hunter first and foremost, like you said, you, you know, you, you get off on finding these giant whitetails, getting close, getting in range. And then when you're there, you know, that when you have that opportunity, you know, they're dead before that arrow goes, you have that instinct, I guess if this, again, this is me looking from an outside point of view, but it's kind of a difference between a hunter and an archer, I guess. Well, I think, I think maybe the best way to describe it is I mean, I would never be arrogant in saying, yeah, when I know they're close, I know I know it's a done deal because bow hunting is a tough game. But I think we've trained and trained and trained to have an, an inner peace or calm when you get close to those animals, which takes years and years and years to develop. And even with that said, I'm hoping the next time it happens, I can, in fact, maintain my disciplines to be that guy because mm-hmm. we have been fortunate to take a lot of those good animals. But... You just don't know if these deer don't rattle you once in a while, you know, you really shouldn't be in this game. And I can't remember the last time it happened, but, um, I felt it a, a month ago on a good mule deer and I was kind of surprised that that, those instincts kicked in and, and a good mule deer rattled me on a hunt and I went, wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so, yeah, so I will, I will never talk like I've got it figured out because, I'm comfortable with who I am on this stuff, but you you can be tuned in pretty soon by these animals. Yeah, no, but that's that yeah. that's funny. But, but again, you still have to be confident with it too. And yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. I didn't mean to say yeah. you're arrogant. Like, all right, this is a done deal. But yeah. at the same time, you know, you were confident and won the years of experience and also the discipline that you've you know had to to get to that point. I guess is a a, a little bit better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. But it's a humbling game for sure. That's the thing that I enjoy about this sport so much is if your if your mindset gets if your mindset is too weak, you're in trouble. If your mindset is too arrogant, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. 
if you can walk that middle ground and, and try to be good enough for it, well-practiced and good enough and keep your head in the right place, you might be just where you are. But, you know, I've had hunters, I mean, clear of you and I, I mean, I've got a hunter coming next week from your part of the country, actually, from Pennsylvania, and he was up here 27 years ago. And uh, he's coming back because he could never get it done here. He came here, he learned a lot of his skills here. Mm -hmm. And he just constantly got beat up uh, by these deer. They just shook him up too much. And he, since that, he stepped away from here, went to a lot of places and successfully, successfully bow hunted a lot of game. And he's on his way back because he can't stand the fact that he couldn't win up here. So he's, <laughs> he's here in a few days. So it's going to be interesting. And he's trained mentally, physically, and uh, he's in his 50s now and he's, he's uh, ready to get after. And we've had that before with other guys too. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully that's not the case with me. If being in my twenties now, you know, yeah, 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 getting all which it's yeah. it's pretty tough to not get rattled on some of these, yeah. you know, no, white you hills. Like, you look like you got your head in the right place. If there's one thing I've learned in this game, or I'd like to think I've learned, is I can look at the guys and see the skill sets. And you're with a strong crew this week, and, and I put on a good mask. Yeah, it's hard. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put on a good mask on the first day, so no, you were you were recognizable in my opinion as a guy that. Uh, has done a lot of time in the field and you look like you can get it done, but you know, it's easy to also say, yeah, what's going to happen, you know, cause that yeah. can happen to you. It can happen to me. So who knows, but you know, just try to be good enough and hopefully we can get it done. You know, one thing you said to me on the way out the door going out for an afternoon hunt made me really think the whole way out there. You're like, are you real? When that opportunity presents itself again, are you going to be able to capitalize? You're going to be able to keep yourself in it, you know, and yeah. that's something you got to constantly think about because you can't just surprise yourself with the way you would put it was, you know, you, everybody wants a chance at one of these whitetails. Well, what do you do when you have that chance? Well, that's just it. It's a, it's a, it's, if you don't plan for it, all you do is react and a reaction is not the way to be successful what you're trying to do is, is to create a trained response and that's pre-planned. And that's the thing that this sport teaches you, you know, any high level sport, you run into a situation that's stressful and you immediately switch to a trained response to handle that situation. You don't run into something that's high stress and react to it. That's, that's a, that is not the way to do it, you know, and, and experience has taught us in this, like my mental disciplines that I like to think are fairly strong and, and, uh, committed. I'm already th thinking of my, my, my moves when an animal gets close to me and not moving, of course, to get them close. And that's a discipline. We refer to the art of nothing to do everything possible, um, to do nothing to I do guess. nothing to yeah to not exist and such so yeah um but it's a if you only need to do six things do six things don't do 12 things to get six things done or 12 moves to get six things done so there's a lot of little things but the mental disciplines jumping back and, and back on track is uh you really have to have to discipline yourself to to respond to something rather than see how you react yeah because when it comes to big white tails you're not going to react well <laughs> yeah that's a, and, and that's that's the other thing that was, was sticking in my head like i said I'd, i've been really trying to came into this hunt wanting to take home as much as i can whether that's a, obviously i hope that's also a set of antlers and everything but more or less learning to you know 
you know, become a better bow hunter. And that was one of the things that, you know, one of my big take homes is responding rather than reacting. Right. And so, you know, that's cogn it's in my, my brain right now. You know, when I was watching deer out in the, the fields this afternoon, instead of instantly you see it and all of a sudden you want to grab your binos and you want to do this, just relax for a second, right. kind of see what their body motions doing, see what, you know, what you can do at that point and, yeah. respond rather than reacting. Yeah. And, and the response thing, I always refer to staying on your center, mm -hmm. you know, like don't let something get you off your center. And there's a lot of things in this world that push you off your center that make you excitable or nervous or intimidated or whatever it is. And that's a discipline in hunting that is a discipline in life, in my opinion, that when you run into a stressful situation of whatever kind, you have to try to keep your center about you. And that's a big, big thing in, in hunting big whitetails. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. And then, like you said, it carries over to everyday life too, as far as, you know, some, someone says something that may piss you off instead of reacting right away, respond rather than, you know, I mean, kind of think it through and not just jump at, at a thing and say something that may not be appropriate or make you, um, no better than that guy. And that's your planned response, yeah. which is exactly what we're referring to, which has nothing to do with deer hunting in terms of the material that we're speaking of, mm -hmm. but the exercise itself, and the, it, it parallels exactly what happens in deer hunting. When you see a, a small doe or a, a little buck or whatever, it's interesting, it's fun, it's whatever, but when you see something of the magnitude that you saw, it is a different world, so you have to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. You're you're at a different level, it affects you, different emotionally and physically and spiritually for that for that matter yeah no that's yeah. that's complete that's completely true but I, but i think really the thing that i would i would you know try to speak to guys mostly on is you know the mindset and i think that's a great com a great material that we're covering right now i think that's very very important but you know just the just the game i refer to higher awareness when it comes to bigger white tails as well if we're talking you know hardcore on the big white tail game you know, I would, I would always refer to the term higher awareness as well, because a lot of hunters get into the game of, of, uh, hunting deer where well, they are, they are hunting deer, but they'd love to get a big, a big whitetail buck one day or whatever it is that they're after big mule deer buck, whatever it is. But these animals are experienced and they live with a higher awareness when guys are hunting and they're getting close to does and small bucks and mid-range box and they're they're in the deer they're thinking i got this going on i got this going on i'm on it i'm on it i've got it well you may or you may not there's a good chance that you don't but the inexperienced animals are tolerating you mm -hmm. and for for instance today i saw a good example of it today because we're we're doing some uh some some film work up here um this week and uh we're in this one spot and we've got a couple of vehicles and we're taking some photos and some films and so on and there's fresh truck tracks from yesterday, and then I see a bunch of tracks on our truck tracks, and sure enough, it's all the does and the small small bucks and fawns walking all over our truck tracks because they're 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 curious as to what it all is. Mm -hmm. Well, I look very specifically because there's not one big buck track anywhere near yeah any of those tracks because they won't they won't go anywhere near that sort of disturbance. So it's the nature of the beast. It's a totally different animal when you're hunting these animals that are experienced. They know how to survive and they'll go nowhere near something that, like that just to check it out. Well, it's funny you say that. I had uh, a couple of years ago, I had a small lease in Ohio. It was like 50 acres that, that a guy had owned the land and, and got to know him and, and, you know, paid money to hunt this property, I guess. 
and all of a sudden I get there in hunting season and he's has a shooting range right through the middle of the one field and 50 acres isn't very big no. to have a shooting range yeah, in yeah. there. And, you know, I said something to him. I was like, Hey, I'd, you know, this isn't really, you know, great for the deer and, uh, everything's like, well, I, you know, I saw this eight pointer down in the back there after we get done shooting. And I said, yeah, but as it's a different, you know, story for mature white tails versus, you know, does and smaller bucks, you know, yeah. it's, it's a whole, it's what I was getting at. It's just a whole different animal. Yeah, absolutely. Almost. And and that can be, you know, there's, it's one thing for the, the size of the white tails here in Alberta, but that can be anywhere in the country when you're hunting experienced or, you know, absolutely. mature white tails yeah. and the same, you know, disciplines can be applied in their own sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the one I always, I say commonly when we're talking, referring to experience too, I mean, a lot of people think deer hunting is so unique in its way. And I, I always say that a lot of things in this world are, are parallel or very similar, which is when you're referring to experience, if you're talking about somebody that's young versus somebody who's older and you're trying to fool them with something, it just doesn't take much common sense to realize that somebody in their teens is easy to fool versus somebody in their 60s or 70s. And it, that's it's very similar in the in the hunting world. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I completely agree and and uh like you said is you can when you're dealing with something with experience, they've seen the the things that have almost got them killed exactly. you know, in the past and they they don't make those mistakes more than once, you know, yeah. usually. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think one of my, another one of my big takeaways from this, and even though I'm only halfway through the week here and I haven't got a chance to kill my whitetail yet, which by the time this airs, I will. But <laughs> I appreciate optimism. <laughs> How about it, Jim? Every day I leave the door, you're like, Bo, what are you thinking today? I said, 100% success. That's it. And the, the people on the podcast have heard me say that on my 14-day elk trip, but this one's going to turn out different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. But, That's uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyways, one of my big takeaways is really paying attention. So when I'm hunting, whether I'm hunting mountain whitetails in Pennsylvania or whatever I'm doing is paying attention to them details and staying disciplined with it, no matter how long the season's going on, not taking shortcuts. And the other thing that I learned was just because you have the time to hunt, don't just go hunt. If you're not prepared for it, sometimes maybe you need to, to get with it. I, I catch myself sometimes of just trying to get in as many days as possible to hunt. When, if you could have a, a, I guess less amount of days to hunt, but you do them more, uh, more perfectly, I guess. And, and lined up, I, I don't know. That's something I'm picking up on. Yeah. Yeah. The discipline hunting methods is key. And, you know, I remember guiding a guy 20 years ago and he, and he said he wanted to hunt all day. And the way we were hunting and the deer were moving at that time, I said, how would you feel about if I, if I hunt you half the time and show you twice the deer? Cause I, I know what, how we're going to do it and we're going to catch them at certain times versus you being in a spot that's a sleeper half the time. And, and don't get me wrong, midday or all day hunting can be very, very effective. But there's other times that you can really focus on being more technically sound and get on, getting on animals. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, it's, I remember I'm, a habit that I've had for years as well is a morning hunt a lunch and a, and a quick nap and then an afternoon hunt and I'll do some all day hunts sometimes too 
but I've had guys say to me, you gotta, you gotta be tough. You gotta be tough. You gotta hunt hard. I go, you hunt hard. I'll hunt smart. <laughs> Cause three or four days or five or six or nine days into it, I'm still fresh and I'm still, I've got my wits about me to hunt with a, what I think is somewhat, <laughs> with somewhat of a level of intellect. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is think it through and, and, and be disciplined as well by doing, I said it, touched on it earlier, but do what you should do versus you want what you want to do. The brand new stand that you set that you're dying to get into, well, it was set up on a Northwest for a Northwest wind. Well, it's Saturday morning. Don't go in there if it's not a Northwest wind. Mm -hmm. Don't go in there on a compromising wind. And we do it in other hunts as well. If we know, like in early season whitetail hunts, early season whitetail hunt rather we find that the evening hunts generally hunt better than the mornings the deer kind of lazier in the mornings and so on and i'll tell you what we're going to do on those morning hunts is we're going to stay away from our quality evening hunts mm -hmm. you know we'll do anything but mess with our quality evening hunts yeah i'm not saying the morning hunts are a waste of time but that's a discipline that's a learned discipline to focus on when it's going to happen mm -hmm. and or when it should happen and you know if you have six evenings to hunt you try to six pick six perfect evenings with sites that you should work not that you want to work but you should work i mean you might want to but i'm hoping i'm explaining the logic of discipline yeah. of of discipline hunting and uh but those morning hunts you're trying to get in the game to some extent but you keep it clear of those of those quality evenings yeah no I, i'm i'm completely understanding what yeah. you're saying yeah. and uh yeah and again you can apply that to many different things as far as just keeping the discipline and when you set something and I, I was i struggled this year with it too i actually still there's my favorite stand i haven't sat in yet because i haven't had the right conditions which once i get back on monday the last day of the season i'm hoping everything is right for it because it's around certain dates i know it's good i've yeah. tried hunting at all different times of the season i know when this spot's good and what i need for it and and a lot of times the first set's always the best set it yeah. seems like and and that's why I hear yeah I doubt that we'll sit in the same stand twice you know no we we've, we've been at it a while we have a bunch of stand sites and you know we run a different system too which which we didn't really cover as we do the you know the portable system so in our case we take a stand and naturally a bow and a pack to every every tree with us and we bounce around so we're basically hunting tree stand sites that consist of you know, 12 or 14 tree steps per per tree. You go and you use a lineman to get up and you set up fully and completely, do your hunt, bring your gear out. And we've been doing that for years. And to us, it's a very, very effective system because we have so many tree stand options. So we can bounce around a lot depending on what the wind directions are, the conditions or we're hunting winds or thermals or whatever. We have all kinds of options, but it just uh, is a system that's so versatile. And especially at this time of year, we're talking about the snow that it's snowed, it's melted, it's frozen, it's crunchy. That if we were leaving stands in the field, that's how the tree stand the stands would be as well. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't be any, we wouldn't be getting big deer off of those those stands. Yep. So that's another thing we're doing as well. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. And I, I think um, with with that point there, I kind of want to bring up. Are, are we allowed to talking that these guys are filming you? Yeah. Is that is that. Oh, probably, <laughs> probably. I mean, we're, we're, we're working on some product development stuff. So, I mean, we can probably talk a little bit about the fact that we're filming and, you know, I mean, we're filming some of the things that we talk about here. So. Yeah. And that's what, that's what yeah. I was going to get at is, yeah. you know, I don't know when it's going to be released. Do you know, is it sometime around the launch? 
I'm not. I'm actually not sure what's what's happening as far as the product. I mean, we're just we're constantly working on innovation and such. And and um, what about the film though? Is that going to be around the same? Yeah, you, you know, I'm product? not. I'm not quite sure what they're when they're going to release the, the okay. footage that we're filming here. But all I know is the the guys have been doing a good job and yeah. covering product and, te- and and tactics and such and. It's going to be interesting. It's it, yeah. Shannon and his crew are some very, very talented individuals. I was just going to say it's a very quality production that we're we're working on, and and uh, you know I feel blessed with the fact that uh, I have the opportunity to be involved and and to give back with some knowledge. I mean, I've been blessed to be in this game a long, long time, and and the guys that have supported my business over the years that are working in the factories and working in the all the different businesses that are saving their bucks to come up and and hunt with us um a lot of the guys don't have the opportunity to get the level of education that we have having done this full time for 30 some years you mm-hmm. know this is the occupation yeah so it's nice to take an opportunity like this to give back to the guys a little bit and hopefully help them with their own hunting a little bit and you know nothing's rocket science it's just the fact that we've done a bunch of it and if we can yeah. get back to our our brothers in bow hunting and sisters of course now there's a lot of great bow hunting girls in the sport now and it's a um, it's a, it's a pleasure to give back to a lot of the guys in the business. Yeah. I think this film, I think those guys will really, will have captured it to the point that it's going to be, it's going to be pretty amazing. I can't wait to see the final product, um, that comes out of that. But, um, yeah, so a lot of things we're talking about here with, that's hard to articulate through, you know, the sound on a podcast, you can see some of the stand hanging methods and everything else that, that, uh, Jim was describing when that, when that video launches and i think that'll be through sicka gear if i'm not mistaken yeah absolutely it's with, it's, it's sicka with film. the sitka crew and i've worked with those guys for years and it's a great relationship i mean i i'm uh, a lot of reason i'm affiliated with with the sitka team is it's just a crew of very very skillful individuals and focused and principled and and uh not to mention the fact that we've been working on the design of of gear that is phenomenal for the sport that we love. And in this particular case, bow hunting big whitetails, it's just so complements the sport. It's exciting for us. Yeah. And they, and they haven't even gotten ready yet, even when you're a little bit hard on yeah, critiquing sometimes. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I, we were talking about that the other day. Uh, you know, it's uh, they, they seem to have a tolerance for me. I don't know what it is. I guess just just bad judgment on their part. I but. think that was it. <laughs> Because if you don't know Jim, he's as straightforward as it gets. Yeah, so yeah. Whatever, whatever you see is what you get, and that's that's awesome, and and definitely needed for. Um, I think they appreciate it from a gear testing perspective. You're not giving them any fluff, that's for sure. Yeah, well, with 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 the game that we play, we keep it very real. You know, I mean, you know, getting back to my more intense side, I guess you might say, is we keep it very real, and we don't pretend that something is going to be when it's not going to be. If something's not not quiet it's not quiet if something's not going to work it's not going to work i'm not saying speaking in terms of having all the answers i'm just talking in terms of straight objectivity i guess you might say with respect to this is too noisy this isn't going to work this is the visual on this doesn't work it's a matter of you know i always i always say there's there's many ways what do they say there's many ways to skin a cat isn't that the same (laughs) yeah that's it (laughs) and i respect people that run a successful anything it doesn't have to be how i do it um i know a lot of guys that are great bow hunters in this industry great bow hunting outfitters great bow hunters and i have a lot of respect for those guys and we're not the same but their formula 
is successful. Yeah. And that's really what we're focused on here. Yep. You know, is, you know, working on designs or working on gear, whatever it is to, uh, on a successful, on a successful track, positive track. So that's what we're focused on. So if anyone wanted to, uh, potentially book a hunt with you, if we haven't scared them off or anything here yet, where, where could they do that or well, find more information well, on you? Well, firstly, that would be bad judgment on their part. First of all, you know that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there's nothing, I said the other day, there's nothing fun about this, you know, yeah. bowing big whitetails in cold weather and trying to manage your clothes. It's, there's nothing fun about it, but. Uh, As you'll see in the film, trying to change in your underwear outside and it's yeah, 10 exactly, degrees. <laughs> exactly. But I say it's not fun, but you wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, there's one place that I'm going to be in November and, and that's just it. And the, and the boat, the Edmonton Bozone is home to me. So it's a special, special place, but you know, my, I'm an easy guy to track down. I mean, I'm, my, uh, my business is classic outfitters and in, in Alberta, Canada. And, you know, I'm an easy guy to to track down so yeah, you typed it in on google you'll find something oh yeah you'll find something we've been <laughs> we've had articles for a long time and have yeah. been fortunate to do some tv stuff as well and mm-hmm. and uh yeah and you keep it pretty uh you keep it pretty close as far as there's not a lot of people that come through here in a year because you want to make sure everyone has a quality hunt right well no as a matter of fact i mean i've taken our client base way down and I was kidding with the guys last night that we have the worst business plan ever because we just take a f- select few and, you know, a lot of guys are trying to promote business and get more business and we actually aren't doing that. We're taking very few people now after all these years. I think, I think it's probably because the outfitter is, it can't take that much anymore. So, yeah. you know, so it's pretty funny. We were joking about how much, uh, how much longer I was going to last. So, but, you know, but it's been a lot of fun for us and we're very blessed on a positive note. We're very blessed to have been in it we're very blessed to have the people that come up and uh you know my 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 proudest thing in in the world of outfitting is not the big deer we've taken we've taken a bunch of them but the people that are collected in the room for lack of a better term right now uh we like to think we're a fairly quality crew that's what we hope to be but we seem to surround ourselves with a lot of quality very very accomplished people in a lot of different regard Mm-hmm. a lot of different regards so it's pretty exciting to it's pretty exciting to be in the room with a lot of these guys yeah no i i completely agree it's been uh it's been an awesome week here and everything and and yeah you don't hear it too often when someone's you know really not trying to promote themselves yeah yeah <laughs> you know? yeah no that's just it that's if you want to find it. out about it, here's yeah. my articles but don't call me <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah like i said that's just bad judgment on your part uh-huh. yeah awesome. no that's just it i mean we uh we've been doing this a long time and and uh, we enjoy meeting some new people along the way but you know it doesn't it's it's certainly not for everyone what we do it's uh it's a discipline challenging thing and and uh, you know there's different different ways to do it in different places that people like to be and I think what we do I think might be fairly obvious as we as we discuss this but you know it's a it's a regimented place for sure and if you don't like regiment and organization and you know the reality of what the sport needs yeah you know if you like it we're your guys but if you're not if we're if you're if you don't uh, we're not your guys you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty clear just give if you have yeah. any other questions just give Jim a call and he'll let you know yeah, whether you're exactly. gonna make yeah. it or not yeah but, the uh, guys that are competitive and hard on themselves seem to seem to just love it here and they can't get enough of it I, I loved reading it in your rules though just a quick side note was when you sent them over to me the guidelines I think it was where it said 
you you may think oh, something along the lines. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but something along the lines of you may think you're a real man, but we'll figure out who the real men are in camp after day three or four or something. Yeah, well, yeah, it was something along the lines. That, <laughs> you know, and I've touched this on this before. Is you can think whatever you want of yourself and say whatever you want about yourself, but a two or three or four days into it. You know, if there's if there's six guys in a room after three or four days, you know exactly what the other guys are. Mm-hmm. So um, it doesn't matter how much money you've had or wh- what you've come from in terms of physical. It's uh, it's it's ultimately what you are, and it starts to show your your skills or your flaws after a few days. And you know, we're not here to impress anybody. We're just here to try to stand stand strong for what we do and and uh, stand disciplined so we don't waste waste people's time but you know it's interesting to see who fits and who doesn't yeah it's it's funny and and i'd, I'd see uh as, as you and i've talked a, a lot that we have a a lot in common from the standpoint that we get a little bit too obsessed over um certain things and it may you know take away from other parts of life but that's <laughs> yeah so that's a i don't know if not sure if that's a good bad habit or a bad good habit i'm not sure which way that works but whatever way it yeah. is that's what we have it's so. an obsession of some kind yes yeah <laughs> but anyway jim i wanted to thank you uh very much for coming on here and talking to me and if there's anything else you'd like to add no i think that's pretty good that covers it but uh you know i hope that that helps maybe somebody that heard a thing or two that aids them with their own bow hunting because you know we're all in this together and hopefully uh hopefully that helps somebody along the line and if not entertains you but good luck with with your own bow hunting if uh if anybody hears this that it that it can help them out yeah so whether that's you know whether you decide to come to the bow zone sometime or it's anywhere else you know just I, i think you can get a lot out of this episode so thanks jim i really uh appreciate that and and I know you've had a long day of filming and I've had a long day of hunting, so probably eat some more cinnamon rolls and go to bed. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a good plan. My pleasure, Bo. I All appreciate right. the opportunity. Thanks, Jim. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.